This podcast is sponsored by OMI, the company that makes CRM work. Today, we're speaking with Dennis Shugayev, Chief Business Development Officer for Smart IT. First of all, thanks for having me. Uh, so my name is uh, Dennis Shugayev. I am a Chief of Business Development at Smart IT. We are a custom software development company. Uh, with a, a huge background in engineering and, and algorithms and everything like that, and building custom software development for a lot of companies all over the world. So basically, the company was founded about, well, I would say 10 years ago. In October, it will be 10 years. With the core part of the team, including me and all current C-level staff, came from competitive programming background, if you ever heard about something like that. That's simply saying a uh, sport competition between programmers. <laughs> right. It sounds like the, the Olympics for uh, for coders. <laughs> yes, that's what it is. So you have like limited amount of time, like five hours, let's say, and you have a set of tasks, let's say five or something, or three in our case. So, and you need to write an algorithm that will, at the end of the day, pass as much tasks as it can. And the more tasks your solution passes, the more points you get, the more awesome you are. And the main price of this school level competition is the chance to get to the university with no exams. And that's what we did. And when we were students of the third year, we basically started Smart IT. So in the very beginning, I think we've been working on our local markets, which were Belarus and Russia, mostly because we are based in Belarus, in Minsk, which is in between of Russia and, and European Union. Uh, so we had some contacts from our freelancing experience, like previous freelancing experience in Moscow. So we've started our path, let's say, in that perspective, like helping some even vending machines, factories to develop the software for them or to create some custom online auction web services and so on and so on. So Dennis, you got into this for the love of like, you know, you just enjoyed doing it. <laughs> it sounds like you're a competitive guy, I guess. And then you found like, oh, this might actually be useful for making money as well. <laughs> Not just, you know. <laughs> well, I live in Belarus. And actually here is, if you are not an IT guy, your destiny is not so bright, I would say. Uh, so being a software engineer is is profitable here in Belarus because a lot of companies are working for, for, for the US market and for the European market which has like much more impact, let's say, on the financial side of the economy. So not a lot of companies here works on local uh, local market. In about, I think, about two or three years, we decided to, to move to another direction, let's say. And we started our own like first startup of ours, which was a ticketing provider that we developed and from, like, from scratch and now. It is. It was a startup, but currently it's a work in business. So we developed the ticketing service that now is in use by every like government-owned movie theater here in Belarus. And we started from movies, and for the moment we like sell tickets through our platform to like concert theaters, every kind of sport events, almost any entertainment that that we have, which is pretty awesome, I think. So this took us about, I believe, three years to get it up to the point where there was only support left. And all of a sudden, financial crisis came to Belarus. Hmm. Uh, so there were no more chance to stay on local market because we wanted to hire high quality engineers, 
we came from a strong engineering background, as, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And we always wanted to keep this quality mark on a really high level. And the only way to do so was to switch to the European market and to the US market. And that's what we do over the last yeah, six years or so, five or six years, like mostly focusing on providing our clients with uh, dedicated software development teams, which actually means that we hire IT engineers, like project managers, business analysts together with them that stick on a project and help business to to scale, to develop as much functionality as the, as the market needs for the moment hmm. and to do it with, let's say, the, the maximum effort that's possible to save as much money as it possible in the future. That's great. Dennis, let me ask you a question. Standing up this business in, in Belarus and, and saying that you, you guys moved to, you know, serving clients, many of whom are, are in the United States, was there, was there any cultural difficulty there in, in sort of understanding the business landscape or, or working with people? Or is it the case that engineers sort of understand each other? And so you were able to cut through some of that because you guys speak the same language? Well, yeah, in terms of cultural difference, like for me personally, it was like, let's say, much easier to work with US-based businesses than, let's say, with some European countries or Russians. Because let's say if I can get it and let's say, an easy agreement with the U.S.-based business because we both have the same understanding of profit. We have the same understanding of perspective. And usually when we're talking about like some European businesses or or business people in Russia, they are sometimes thinking more about some closer perspectives, let's say. Uh, so I did not actually felt something like like a cultural difference. The biggest thing that we actually felt is the time zones difference which is there. So having some clients in California means that we have 10 hours of difference in, in our working days. And so it means that there should be some kind of a process that covers at least three or four hours from both of our sites. So we have our like daily meetings early morning or, or lately in the evening. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's how it works. But at the end of the day for the business in the US, it's kind of a magic, you know, because when you go to sleep, and after that, you wake up in the morning and you see that everything was done during your night while you were sleeping, which <laughs> is which sounds really good. Yeah, <laughs> and, it like magic. and it is a good feeling. <laughs> yes, yes, and it is. Yeah. It sounds like you guys can tackle industry agnostic. It sounds like you you can you know you can apply your skills to pretty much any problem. And you've recently moved into telemedicine and digital health. Correct. We all know that we're living through COVID, but talk to me about that decision and how how the adoption occurred. How did that go for you guys? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we started this relationship as, let's say, as a client and a vendor relation. So one of our clients is a U.S., like California-based owner of a brick-and-mortar clinics, and he wanted us to develop some kind of a CRM solution for him to automate some of his business processes, you know, to make it simpler, to have the full control over the lead funnel and everything. And our CEO was working really close with him, and they had some really good one-on-one relation. And at the end of the day, they just decided that they want to build another business together based on something that we've developed from this very beginning. And even though it started as a CRM system, now we ended up building a full-cycle telemedicine solution that just a short, like, brief explanation of what it is. So uh, the system has like consists of three like main modules. With the first one is the patient's workspace, where patient can pick a medical service 
fill the necessary intake form, pay for the for the session just by the click of a button. When the doctor starts an appointment, a patient just gets a link into the system via SMS and email to join join the session. So the second one is a doctor's workspace with like managing the working schedule, have the access to patient information, start and have a video call with the patient. So we're not using like Skype or or Zoom or anything like that. It's a custom-based built-in video connection tool. And the third part, which I think is the most important, let's say, is the background custom CRM slash like task management slash omni-channel communication platform. And basically because it's a startup, like the most important thing for them is to work on their marketing and check every metric that they can. And to do that, there is a full funnel with the tasks that are automatically allocated with available support managers. And now as it is in one system and not in one office, the business is ready to hire, let's say, support managers, not only in, in California and Bay Area, which saves a lot of money, let's say. And you have a full process that you see, and it's fully clear for you. So your head of support could easily find the bottleneck, fix it. We use Twilio to, to, to do these phone calls. And if needed, we can even store them. Of course, getting like prior, we need to have the, um, the approval from a client. But still, if we have it, then we can even analyze like every unsuccessful, let's say, phone call and make like just everything that can help business to grow, basically. And so now this startup is is live. They are now going for their round A. Uh, and we have a team that sits here in Belarus, a team of developers, and they are working on the platform as it is. So it's a combined team of people who are sitting in, in the US, in California, and our mm. team here in Belarus. G- given what you do, I'm sure you must see you know, you must be able to put your finger on the trends that are coming in tech. And and so I wonder if you saw an uptick in health startups in the health space or just companies, you know, maybe not just startups, but companies moving in there, you know, based on just the, the inquiries you got through your front door. Uh, oh, yes. Uh, yes. And we've seen a lot, I would say. And when and with this telemedicine solution, I've showed it, uh, I've shared it with a lot of people who are in this area. There were some really interesting products in unexpected, interesting startups, let's say, in unexpected places for me, at least. So I saw that there is a massive growth of telehealth in African countries, like in Nigeria, for example. I just heard that they are pushing everything that is related with telemedicine a lot. Like they had about if I'm not mistaken, 300,000 sessions that they had with their doctors online within two or three months. So the number is is massive. And they were just first month of the, of the product. So there are a lot of, uh, let's say, online pharmacies that are now booming, I would say. Uh, so one of my friends and colleagues in uh, Chile runs uh, an online pharmaceutical startup. And as well, we discussed with him the possibility to have, let's say, our telemedicine platform and integrate it somehow or even build a new one around their platform. Because at the end of the day, it comes to the, well, let's say to the infrastructural kind of system. So it will be like just like a clinic and it will be online. So some one place when you can have the access to everything you need, starting from the session with your doctor and ending by order pills and medication if needed. 
just from this very website. And that's where we are now. And do you get the feeling that this is a trend, the world responding to a crisis or something that will, will continue beyond the current moment? I think both. So it was dictated by the crisis. It was not dictated by the crisis. It was pushed by the crisis, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit, maybe like, so just gave us uh, a poke, <laughs> but still we would be in this position in, in a few years, wherever. So it just helped a little bit to text. And as far as I know, there were a lot of ease on regulations for telemedicine even in the U.S. because of COVID, which is obvious, I think. Uh, so just from my perspective, I think that it's for, this is for the good. So I see a lot of potential in that. What we're talking about is some decentralization here and, and you know the ability to conduct business over the internet as opposed to in person. And that flows naturally into the next topic I want to talk to you about, which is why emerging startups and established businesses are using more and more offshore MSPs, managed service providers, and what are some of the advantages you mentioned? You mentioned being able to wake up and, and have <laughs> see some see some new work, which is which is nice. Uh, I assume there are some some cost benefits, but uh, what what else? What else might people miss? Uh, actually, it's pretty easy. So when you have a lot of startups, when there is a big demand for new products and there is a lot of money on the market, the problem is uh, resources, and the problem is there. And now we are facing the lack of IT skilled tech resources all over the world. So I think even here in Belarus, we faced it too. So it's just the demand is so high that there are no available developers locally in California or in Texas or whatever. So there are some big offshore zones like India, let's say, with their reputation. We have like Eastern Europe, we have Philippines, Mexico. And there are like this kind of regions, but even they are now struggling with the lack of talents. So this market is getting, it, it, it is just growing. So something will happen maybe in the future, some technical upgrade where programming would become something that every person could do. But I think we still have a few years before that. Uh, so it's just, it's just a matter of high demand. So in terms of the profits that a company could get, it's pretty like for, for some companies and for some people who are not, uh, let's say, experienced enough with building technical projects, it could be a challenging task to even build this team and manage how to work it properly. So the first thing is resources. The second thing is the processes. Mm-hmm. And from that mm-hmm. perspective, it's good to have a partner who knows how it should be done and who is not only your uh, like someone who provides you with resources, like people, men hours or so. It's someone who has experience in making everything as it should be. So because that's the biggest rule of programming, and I think not only of programming, is that the cost of fixing a mistake grows exponentially within the time. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, you would have insight into best practices because you're doing this across so many different clients, whereas each individual client only sees their own process. Is that sort of a good way to frame it? Yes, yes, thank you. And sometimes this experience is not even there. So even if someone have been working with some big corporates and has like experience working with this enterprise kind of processes, if he wants to launch a startup, it would be totally different thing. So because they just don't have enough time and money to just to set up this enterprise kind of level process. So it's a tough thing to do, and it's something that is not usually so obvious that everyone think about. But the problem is there. Talk to me about 
how smart IT approaches engagement through dedicated teams and staff augmentation. Why, why are those particular models of engagement taking precedence over traditional project-based models? Good question, though. So first of all, now the projects are constantly evolving and growing. And like right now, almost every startupper understands that if he launches startups, there will be a lot of pivoting during the way. So with project-based approach works usually with mobile applications. On their first step, on their first stage to create the MVP, so something that's just a proof of concept, let's say, to check how market will, will work with that further. But when it's done, the development process is something that usually never ends. So there will be some updates, new features coming, your clients would ask you for some additional things and you would like to add some new things and your potential client or not even potential, like real database of clients will grow. And it will affect your architecture that was planned, let's say. And there will be a lot of unexpected pivoting from the business perspective. So, And it means that, like, let's say for me as a business owner, uh, I need to rely on someone. And if this switch from one developer or from one vendor or from one IT team to another takes a lot of time and effort. So every new onboarding and engagement of a new team member, depending on the complexity of a project, could take up to six months just to get like first, let's say, major tasks and issues to be resolved by a new person. And this is not just not cost effective. So that's why we are uh, here providing uh, dedicated teams as a service, because it gives some kind of, um, let's say, trust and assurance that nothing bad will happen with my project in the future. I always have someone who can take and like fix any problem that will be there and can help me to fulfill all my ambitions mm. and not to look for another vendor anytime, every time that I want to change something. That's the main reason. You guys must have some exposure to the regulations on healthcare and insurance markets and, and industries. How can you help clients with that expertise and that sort of experience that you've gained over time? Yeah, and I think that I will be like the one of the most honest people here on, in IT market, at, at least. Uh, so tech companies are not experts in regulations. And the best thing here is that they should not be. So, so the best advice that I can <laughs> that I can give is, and something that we did with this telemedicine startup of ours, we have hired a person who is expert in HIPAA, and he knows what should be done from because HIPAA compliance is something that it has like different different sides of something that should be covered, not only from the technical perspective but from the legal perspective as well. So there should be some trainings and some agreements and paperwork to be done. And the technical team, everything that they need to do is they need to fulfill those requirements that will be provided by the expert. And please, if you are looking to, to that direction, be in touch with the expert. It will save a lot of nerve cells and money in the future. <laughs> Talk to me about data interoperability, privacy, You know some of those issues that might pop up. Well, from the HIPAA perspective, there is no such regulation, like let's say, just from what I know, it does not regulate that the data should be stored in the US only, let's say, but it should be stored in a certain way. And the company that provides this kind of a data storage, let's say, should have the same level of security as 
Amazon has, let's say, or Google. So it is like the set of agreements signed uh, starting from the business and ending by the data storage company. Uh, so there are some regulations about who can have the access to the private data. Uh, so not, and, and it sounds uh, logical for me at least, that not every team member should have the access to the production database. And that's fine. And this is something that is regulated. There are some people who have signed this agreement uh, with the company and they know that how important it, it is and they've signed every condition in this agreement. And like I would say that the biggest part of a team does not even touch the patient's database, let's say, patient's data. It's just some, how should I say, some release managers or someone who has this legal right to do that does all the deployment processes in, in their hand, let's say. That's, that's so interesting. I guess, uh, you know, I'm not an expert in your space by any means. What, is, what are some of the, the common misconceptions or, or things you need to educate people who are interested in, in what you do, but don't really have a firm, firm grasp of it? So the first one and the most important thing I would say to, if you want to get an offshore software development partner on board, like us, for example, the first thing that you need to do is to understand why do you need it? The second one, and, and well, the reason of that is that if you will see that, let's say I want to pay someone who will do the job for me and I will do like, I will just sit and, and wait. In that case, well, in my experience, it does not work really well. Uh, so this kind of relation is, well, it should be supported by both sides. Uh, so th there should be some constant communication on a weekly or a daily basis with your offshore partner. So you'll be in just to manage your expectations. And basically, you need to be a part of everything that's going on with your business. So the second one would be to understand what are the steps that I now miss in terms of my processes. Uh, and let me dig a little bit deeper into that. So even though I have, let's say, my internal IT team, that they and they have their, like, let's say they are using Scrum, so they have their daily meetings, they have some created chats or whatever, and they communicate and they have their retrospectives and they have a project manager and so on and so on and blah, blah, blah. And it does not mean that you will have the same success with the remote person or even a remote team working in other side of the world. Uh, so you need to have someone who will be responsible for that process. And we faced some issues with some of our first clients in the US, to be honest. So they did not have this kind of responsible person. And because of that, everyone, as you can imagine, thought that someone else is responsible. And so we had a lot of questions, like unanswered <laughs> questions, and there were a lot of a lot of issues and problems because of that. So this kind of responsibility is really, really important. And after that, if you are like at the stage when you are selecting vendors or already selected one or two, just be sure that this new coming person has something to do at least for his first sprint, like two weeks or so. Because we had some, again, experiences when someone joins the project and it turned out that the team is not, is not ready just to, to get him on board. So there is nothing, no tasks, no issues in Jira, nothing, no accesses and nothing like that. So be prepared to engage a new person in your infrastructure. 
And have in mind that this newcoming, even remote offshore software developer is a part of your team. So, and, and your team should act just as it's someone who sits in your office. And this, and this kind of a relation could bring a new breath into the business, I would say. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thank you. So Dennis, I, I just want to give you an opportunity to tell people where to find more about Smart IT and dive into to your company a little more. Uh, sure. So we have a website, and I think it has a lot of good information with case studies of ours. The website is smart-it.io, and there is a contact form. So if someone wants to reach me out, just leave the message and I'll get back. Fantastic. I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to just uh, shed your modesty here for a moment and shout out a few of your partners so people can understand you know, the types of companies that you guys are working with. <laughs> well, some of them are under NDA, the biggest ones. Uh, so on my, I'm not happy with it. I <laughs> disclose the best names. Uh, so let's say that like one of our current biggest clients is, let's say, it's the Equity Bank, who is one of the biggest banks in Kenya. Mm -hmm. uh, so we've been working with fintechs backed by Mintas. It's the huge P2P investment platform. So, well, actually, I, I, I want to say a bit more, but I can't. It would be a really <laughs> expensive podcast for me. I understand. We, uh, we appreciate the discretion, uh, and I'm sure your clients do too. Oh, the telemedicine startup is something that I can share, I think. It's called Medvidi. The name is Medvidi. And also, if someone from your audience is interested about that, just drop us uh, a line on our website, and I will share the link to the demo video of the platform so you can actually see the potential of what we can do. Oh, wonderful. We can put a link to that in the show notes, Dennis, so people listening can, can go ahead and click right there to, to see that. Dennis, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for the time today. Same here. My pleasure. Really, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me.